good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome back! Welcome back to another episode of Endurance Chat. It's been a while, damn, hasn't it? Uh, I'm Michael Delavari, and joining me tonight, I have Oliver Trovamus. Oliver, good to have you back. Yes, we're back. We're back. It has, it has been quite a break, because you know what? Life has just happened, but also the WEC has happened. So we're here to talk about the doubleheader finale at the WEC in Bahrain. Ollie, firstly, how have you been? It's been a while. Easy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it has been a while. There's quite a big break between uh, Le Mans and uh, Bahrain. Mm. But uh, it's kind of weird having such a break and then, you know, two straight after each other. It's kind of a uh, bit like Asia Le Mans series, um, <laughs> where it was all weekends on top of each other at least we had european le mans series that's true to fill, fill that gap a little uh, and some other series but um yes finally 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 indeed it was quite a break um of course the last round of the series being at le mans we we did cover that off but uh life just kind of happened to all of us i think all all five of our, our main cast group uh, has had life be very big lately. So um, we were planning on doing a, a Bahrain preview, but that didn't happen. So we can just do a double review instead. And it, it was a very uh, interesting... Interesting's probably not the right word for the, the first race, at least. But uh, having the two events back-to-back, we saw two very different events, didn't we, Ollie? Yes. Uh, for several reasons. Uh, especially in the pro categories mm. um of, of the uh, well yes and and then especially on top of that of the gt nature yes yes indeed we'll get neck deep into that but first we should say thank you very much to us once with the racing line dot app um they've been very good to us this year and of course they've been very good in the last few weeks with everyone changing their dsts over um which has been an absolute mess but motorsport calendar app you can find them on the apple store the ios store and the android store nowadays google play um, they will do all the time converting for you and all the favorite series and they can you can get all set up for next year because next year is just around the corner it is only six weeks away and we'll be in 2022 which is a frightening prospect uh, so thank you very much to the racingline.app and uh, thank you for supporting us uh, but two very different events in Bahrain six hours that was replacing the six hours of Fuji of course, the COVID-19 situation uh, still closing off the borders to Japan, or rather Japan closing off their borders to everything else, uh, preventing the WEC from going there. Bahrain, six hours, then of course the traditional eight-hour uh, finale. Um, what do you make of that choice? Well, I didn't put this on the run sheet, so I'm going to throw this a curveball at you. What did you make of that choice to run a doubleheader at Bahrain? Logistically, it makes perfect, and, and from a business sense, it makes perfect sense. Sure, you make them less exciting on paper, having them a very similar product. But for these long uh, flyaway races, um, the the logistics is is a big deal for all of these teams. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, and to do something like this. It makes sense. Um, it's good, st- more stability, uh, especially cost-wise for mm. these teams, um, saving them from doing b- bigger journeys around the world. You know, their their entries dropping out over that. You know, yeah. you look at 
Glickenhaus and things like that. Um, so if you can offer something like this, then you know teams will will be stepping up um, and and you know going for it. Uh, we've seen that in uh, Asian Le Mans series, that stability and uh, cost effectiveness uh, going forward, uh, potentially even uh, into the next WEC season with uh, cost effectiveness. Yeah, the the Asian Le Mans series is a good point. They'll be doing a similar sort of season again like they did this year, but they'll do that again next year. Um, And they did actually try and make the event somewhat different. So the six hours, of course, is a shorter format than what we've seen the last few seasons at Bahrain. And it was an entirely daytime event. Um, So starting at, I think, 11... Uh, p.m. Oh, sorry, a.m. and going through to 5 p.m., which was still very much in the desert sunshine. And then, of course, the traditional Bahrain uh, eight hours, the the run into darkness, the sunset, that t- certainly changed things there. Uh, but let's start with the six hours of Bahrain. I called it the most boring WEC race ever. What was your thoughts, Ollie? Well, it's got a shout. I mean the the round itself was uh subbing out for fuji and uh home of the the previous worst wet race that only had some laps under safety car that's true yeah because of the, the rain um and the 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 change for the lead based on a faster pit stop uh i think that was it they the was it audi that lost the race because they had a slower pit stop I I don't um, think they ended up getting classified in the end. It was like what, yeah. Anyway, that's that was what like twenty thirteen that that event happened. Yeah, I think so. Um, so if you don't consider that as a race, I don't blame you if you go that way. Um, then yes, this would be the worst. Um, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say worst, but certainly most boring. Um, in that respect. And there's, there's a few reasons why. So uh, I, the, the reasons I've kind of suggested are that it was the heat. The heat was a massive factor, like all week. It was just very, very hot. Kind of the Bathurst 12-hour heat from 2020. Um, the fact that you have the next race literally the next weekend, uh, a, another factor. And and the tyre deg. This was something that surprised a lot of the teams. We know, t- uh, we know Bahrain is a, a circuit that is known for tire degradation big sharp aggregate in the middle of the desert sand and all those other problems but the the tire degradation was just off the charts and it meant that everyone was playing the conservation game not only in the race but in practice and qualifying as well it it, it made for a very slow race um so yeah it was not certainly not a classic no no uh (laughs) Yeah, no, no, we're we're not really going to spend too much time talking about the six hours because of that reason. But really, it was uh, a Toyota show in LMH once again, and uh, that one was entirely decided about uh, around tire degradation because the the number eight car just it it didn't have the tires underneath it to challenge at all. And yeah, I, I mean, it's just it was a it's just a bit of a snooze fest. Mm. There were there were uh, like. The only thing I can really remember overtaking wise was them being asked to swap position like and and the the alpine wasn't wasn't really there no. anyway so yeah it, it was just a, a 
in, it was getting in the way, you know, of, <laughs> of like watching uh, other classes hopefully try and save the race. And normally we've seen LMP2 and GTE save some sort of slower races, but uh, GTE Pro particularly was uh, even more, it was a parade effectively. Uh, we, we saw a bit of uh, rumblings about this in the prior uh in the week prior to the event, a uh, significant BOP change to the uh, Ferraris outside of the auto BOP process. So the the WC decided to inflict, uh, inflict, in, in, inject, uh, apply, impose. Uh, impose. That was the word I was looking for. Thank you. Impose a, a increased balance performance uh, to, I think it was the turbo boost pressure um, for the Ferraris. And... Uh, and yeah, it effectively, well, the results at the end of the race was a 30 second gap, which over six hours is, you know, uh, something like, what, five seconds every hour, but it didn't feel like five seconds every hour. It's, yeah, it was a, a very, uh, the throws were nowhere. Like really, it was, yeah. Any any comments on that, really? Because it was just... It was so surprising for for a BOPRE process that has been so good generally all year to get it so wrong. Well, I don't, I don't think it, it necessarily was. Okay. Sure, sure they, they didn't have... Um, well, let me rephrase that. Okay. Ferrari were sandbagging. <laughs> Like that's how I will start the sentence. Okay, again, because they weren't. It, it, it's backed up on what we'll go and talk onto later uh, for the eight hours. But the they were driving to a set lap time, and then Porsche could just manage the gap. Yeah, like they neither OEM was pushing, and you know. OEMs have been sandbagging all this time uh, not necessarily so blatant compared to this other than maybe let's say Ford, Ford yeah um but you know looking back to when Ford did it there were other manufacturers uh, that kind of covered over it so they were just wallowing at the back you know it's like when uh Aston Martin joined and they were just you know doing their own thing off the back of the grid mm. in GT Pro. Um, it doesn't didn't really matter because there were other OEMs to kind of paper over the, the, those cracks yeah. and, and hide it. Um, but when you've only got two, it's, it's more blatant. It, it's more, it's just sad. Like they, they want to throw toys out of the pram yeah. and, you know, dig their heels in and, like throw a hissy fit on the pavement um when everyone's watching uh well yeah it, it just it, it, it was a bit sour I yeah think, and, is the best way to describe and, it and i think it, that particular part like i was willing to give ferrari the benefit that they out to say okay maybe they've been hit with something that they shouldn't have and it was you know quite quite a stark difference in their uh what they expected and all that sort of stuff um but the thing that really struck me about it was the 
the spin that happened in the media, you know, there's quite a few outspoken drivers in the Ferrari camp, in GTE Pro in general, truth be told. Um, but the headlines and the quotes that we were seeing from the likes of particularly uh, James Collado, we all know Collado loves a good whinge, but the the vitriol he had in the week leading up to the six hours of Bahrain was so, so uncalled for. Um, and, and like, I totally get it. You want to be competing, you want to be in the mix and having to drive to a number or whatever they were doing to manipulate whatever, whatever uh, is frustrating. But the there is a certain amount of decorum uh, that one would need to do that tactfully. And I don't think James Collado particularly uh, did that at all tactfully, um, which then makes everything else that happened afterwards uh, such a, 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 a an even further mess, truth be told. Yes, it wasn't done. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of undermining. The, yeah, that's a good word. The, the, the fans, um, you know, it's like, we're not dumb. Yeah. Um, you know, every time there's a Collado headline, it's like, oh, another one <laughs> on the list, on the yeah. pile. Yeah, I mean, it's sad. On the other hand, like from a business decision, Ferrari had a, a race win buffer in points. So, you know, they used it. If, if, they, if they wanted to piss away that gap, that buffer, that advantage to... A generate clicks and B, um, well, A as part of A is you know like any uh, publicity is good publicity. Yeah. Um, uh, and B, you know, try your hardest to set anything up for for the finale when it's all on the line. Um, you know, <laughs> arguably they should have just gone out and raced and and. Uh, tried to salvage something but if you know you're only gonna get a, a race win or a second place uh, um through luck then you might as well whinge i guess yeah fair and like we are being quite cynical about things at the moment um but on the plus side uh it was the gte pro was so anonymous that we basically didn't see them all race which left room for lmp2 and gtm to again steal the spotlight and uh, unfortunately there wasn't a heap of spotlight in those class there was some decent battling in lmp2 particularly um with wrt doing just an incredible job again to just boss everyone around and take another race week victory in their incredible season but uh the Jota Sport versus United uh, competition for the Miners uh, was quite quite menacing, quite intriguing, quite nice to watch, uh, and ended up with uh, a few late in- instances of contact in the race, which was pretty. I mean, we love getting the seeing the LMP2 guys get into it, but they were they were getting into it in the first race of the uh, in the double header. Well, arguably, they've got more to fight for. You know, they're still, uh, yeah, sure, behind the scenes, their their contracts are probably in place. But, you know, you've got these P2 teams that are still trying to push and push and push to, you know, get those those, uh, contracts for Mm. LNH and things like that. Um, It's weird because 
if if WRT never came to WEC, that would that those fights would have been for the race win, like the previous seasons between Jota and United. Yeah, exactly. But it feels weird. WRT have <laughs> just been... imagine WRT doesn't exist. Yeah, just... well, it's like <laughs> head in the sand. Uh, well, I mean, it's like if uh, WEC, uh, but Toyota doesn't exist. So, you know, if you look at the last four years under that microscope, it's kind of like that. Um, in in a lot of the classes as well. I, I do want to talk a little bit though about Inter Europol in this race. Inter Europol, they were they have had quite honestly a breakout season in the WEC with um Cooper Schmikowski and uh uh Alexander and Alex Brundle. Uh they've formed quite a formidable trio of drivers in that car. Um but the uh they had a horrid race in the latter half of the race. They were in the mix, I think they were in fourth and then they had a a trio of problems including getting uh uh, having contact with, I think, the United Autosports car, then the door coming loose, and then another issue, all in the short space of time. And they, they had a shocker. It's a, it's it, it's interesting to track their progression as a team over the last like five years, four mm. years, because they were, you know, it's still to me like they are known. Like if you told me into Europol, it's like oh, it's the green and yellow LMP3s. Yeah, the, the LMP3 powerhouse. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's been really cool to track their growth. Um, Smikowski, the silver, he's kind of... He, he'll be a silver for a while. It, like, I, he's not good enough to be uprated yet, I don't think. Mm. But also, like, he's not bad in that driver ranking band yeah so he's someone that that you can build like a a solid foundation for if you've got the budget for several several years in lmp2 and still be competitive Mm. um so like if you wanted a driver lineup to like be fans of for a long time like these these guys could be it Mm, Uh, i think Randall did sign a an uh, extension with Inter Europol. Yes, um, indeed. Uh, I will see if I can find the uh, the specific details, but I feel like 2024 is the 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 um the number I saw or the the year that, that does I ring saw. a bell. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just going in strength to strength, and it's it's interesting um, having the, this kind of little team that could kind of start really punching um and uh you know there are rumors of them picking up an lmdh you mm. know so it's it's really a name to to follow and uh you know keep a lens on on these guys yeah and really cool team and uh of course this, the the backstory of you know being uh, sponsored or part owned i think or part run by a, a freaking bakery like into europol that's it's it's a bakery that's that's where that's where the name comes from um so it's it's really a really cool sort of uh little team and the the fact that they've actually come coming to their own and are getting those results i mean it's no surprise now that they're in the orica that they're able to do that um 
So, but it's it's still it's still really really cool to see. But they had a shocker on in the first race. Um, but uh, we shall see the redemption arc for them hopefully in the the season to come. I think they they're going to be best poised for a, a good season next year. Yeah, definitely, especially with the uh, shift in driver rankings. So that mm. should move uh, Schmichowski closer to that line in the sand between silver and gold. So. Uh, you know, they might actually have one of the strongest driver lineups next season. So uh, it's one to w- watch. Uh, I, 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 caught, well, I would be caught the tentative to agree with you simply because uh, there is always a new super silver, <laughs> truth be told. Um, what else from that uh, first uh, Bahrain six hours? I, I think the, the other notable. Uh, action from those six hours with GTM, uh, Ben Keating doing Ben Keating things again in Bahrain. He does love the Bahrain circuit and the TF Sport Aston Martin was effectively untouchable uh, in the six hours, uh, finishing quite a ways up from the rest of the GTEM field to the tune of, um, actually it wasn't all that far away, about five seconds in the end over the Dempsey Proton uh, Porsche and uh, Team Project 1 just behind. So they... Uh, again Keating he just ha- seems to pull something extra out at Bahrain I don't know what it is about him and this track but they they seem to work together when he's done good when he's had good races there mm. it's usually been because in the majority of things uh, cars in GTM the bronze driver starts takes yeah. the start and if he gets clear track for the first stint like he did it a couple of seasons ago or last season where he was off the front in the class and he just had like an eight second lead and was just tapping out clean clean laps before the track gets really messy with traffic Mm. um he's a driver that when he's on his own he can have really consistent lap times um and the same with this like the only two drivers ahead of him were silver's um uh, so, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, he was still pretty far ahead of the, the other bronzes. And, you know, that's all he's got to do, really, when he's got uh, good teammates. And, uh, yeah, it yeah. was good. That uh, was my pick. Yeah, he did, he did quite well, <laughs> quite well for you. Um, of course, the two silvers you made mention, uh, made reference to, one of them is first stint Fuji, uh, Tomonobo uh, Fuji, who's done the first stint for every race, I think, for the um, D-Station Racing Aston Martin and has pulled that car from the doldrums of the back end of the grid all the way to the very, very top, only to see it fall back into the doldrums of the back of the grid. Um, and I think the other silver in that first stint, was that uh, Matteo Cairoli or... Ricardo Perra? Crisoni. Crisoni. Crisoni in the uh, yeah. silver Ferrari. Yes, the AF course of the number 83 car, who had quite a poor race. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't the other that one. Uh, the, the 54, yeah. <laughs> there was, there's there's too many silver Ferraris. Um, let's just quickly touch on the... No, it was, the in fact, the other, other silver Ferrari. Crisoni. <laughs> which, which one's he in? It was the... It's the Vistajet one. The Vista. I I mis misremembered the name. Um, after you mean, your Matteo. Uh, you it, mean Castellucci? Uh, yeah, that's the that's one. That's the one. Okay, there we go. Um, 
yeah, let's talk about Silver Ferraris quickly. 83, normally the 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 top of the GTM stable, um, they had a shocker. They finished fifth. Fifth? I think that's their worst result of the season. Uh, it's just AF Corsa, like, you know, going along with the pro team, deliberately driving slowly, you know, add to the sandbagging politics, you know. Not to mention they had 45 <laughs> kilograms of success ballast as the championship leader and the winner of the last two rounds. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> they they set the cars up for heavy amateurs. I mean, they're used to it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, I'll pay that. Uh, so th- that was, yeah, pretty much end of the race in just, just as the sun was beginning to set. And... Um, yeah, beyond beyond the few moments the into Europol car and the uh the work that Keating was doing, I, I I don't even think I was watching anything else. I just don't think it was that remarkable of a race. Truth be told, I mean they can't all be classics. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it. <laughs> exactly. Um. So, but what that did do was that set up a a uh. It's not even a, a, a quintet. There was like eight or nine really interesting championship um, prospects heading into the final race of the season. So let's go through what all the championships looked like um, as we head into the eight hours of Bahrain. Remember, the eight hours paid 1.5 times the normal championship points, um, which actually meant that a lot more teams were in the hunt than we might have expected. So heading into the eight hours of Bahrain, we had uh, the LM- the only decider championship was the LMH Manufacturers Championship, which had gone to Toyota already. Duh. Um, but the in the Drivers' Championship, the gap between the number seven and the number eight was 15 points. Um, now, the gap in uh, in points awarded between winning a race, uh, winning an eight-hour race, which is 38 points, and finishing uh, third... Um, was I think 22 points that's uh, the equivalent so it was 16 points so it was a very interesting equation there uh, at that stage the Toyota number eight uh, needed to win and hope that the sister car finished in third but that situation did change as well GTE Pro was very very close um, there was uh, one point in the manufacturer's title so it was, I think, Porsche leading by one point, uh, and then the drivers, uh, the number ninety-two, was one point behind the uh, Ferrari number fifty-one. So very, very close in that mix as well. Uh, so that was basically set up for a winner-takes-all stoush in, in a grandstand finish. LMP two WRT were in the box seat, but they had uh, five points over the pair of Jotas. Um, so that will five points over the uh, 28 and then three points back to the 20, the, sorry, the 38. So basically that was a winner takes all scenario. And then even in Pro-Am, uh, the racing team Netherlands car, the real team car, the Dragon Speed car, they were in a winner takes all scenario as well. Uh, so very much intriguing LMP2. And then the GTM uh, championship uh, fourth was going to be good enough for the 83 to take it regardless of any other machinations. So... Uh, Plenty of championships to be decided uh, in the uh, in the last round of the season. I couldn't believe that the the LMP two championship was that close at the end of the season. Yeah, it it was kind of setting up for WRT after you know so so many uh, dominant performances. But then behind it was all 
all to play for, really. Yeah. Um, like that, those podium spots were really close uh, behind. And and you had some uh, combination of United and Jota basically on every single podium throughout the entire year between their three those three cars. It was uh, quite a intriguing, tasty little thing to track um, throughout the eight hours of Bahrain, and we got uh, even further into the uh, into the depths of championship battles after qualifying, um, because with a pole position for the uh, number eight, oh, sorry, the number seven car in qualifying. Did I get that one right? I hope I got that one right. Pole position for the leading car in the uh, in the team, which was the number seven. I did get that one right. Um, that meant yeah, that. That meant that even with a third place, they would win the championship on a countback. So it really helped secure their championship fight. But in GTE Pro, the the pole position for the number 92 meant that the 51 and the 92 went into the final round of the season tied on points. Can you, Ollie, in your infinite sports car wisdom or even racing wisdom, ever remember a situation wherein a pair of teams or drivers had gone into the final round tied on points. I can oh, think of one. Question. I can think of good one. Question. Ooh. Ooh. Go on then. So the only one I can think of, the only one that comes to me off the top of my head, was the final race of the 2006 V8 Supercars Championship wherein Craig Lowndes and Rick Kelly went into the final race of the season on the same amount of points. And funnily enough, in that race, Rick Kelly made contact with uh, Craig Lowndes, took him out of the race, served a drive-through, and then went on to win the championship. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Sublime. What a, a wild day that was. Hmm. Hmm. I'll, I'll keep that one in my back pocket for later. Uh, Eight hours of Bahrain, uh, Ollie. Much, much, much more going on than the six hours. Well, the uh, yeah, the six hours was just the the starter, and then we had the the main course that actually meant everything. You know, it was all on the line. It's as it's, it's as always with the last last race, especially when you have uh, no no more sandbagging. Uh, it's all on the line, um, and uh, yeah, it it adds an an extra, or it takes away some politics, mm. um, and it's a bit more pure, as you know, like you said, with this, a straight fight, winner takes it all. Um, yeah, it was good. It it was indeed, and we had a few people join into the live chat uh, a little late, uh, and. Uh, something we said was uh, that there was more action in the first half an hour of the eight hours than there was in the entire running of the six hours. Because it was. The first four laps were nutty. Were absolutely nutty. We had Alpine leading. We had LMP2 bumping each other. We had Guido Vandergaarder bombing down the outside of everyone on the first lap. We had GTE Pro almost running into the LMP2 cars. We had contact on the first lap of GTE. It was all going off. Nice. 
And I can't believe, just as an aside, I can't believe after Vandergaard did that f- same move in the six hours where he bombed down the, uh, was it the outside or the inside? Either way, he just bombed inside, down from, yeah. from like so far down the grid to take the lead. I can't believe that the entire LMP2 field let him do it again a week later. It was ridiculous. He went from like seventh to first in class in one corner. Watch me do it again. And, yeah, it, it, was, it was just ridiculous. And, and like we've seen, we've seen some hero stints from Vandergaard, uh, particularly in the Delara. Um, it was one of the very few times that we used to see the Delara actually performing uh, at anywhere near the front of the field when Vandergaard had it in the first part of the the race, but seemed to do it in an Orica as well. He's he is an absolute asset to that team. Uh, do you reckon the best first stint driver in any class at the moment? Uh, that's a good question. Um, in terms of pro drivers, I, I, that's a good shout. What, what about first in Fuji? Uh, where, where would you rate him? Well, uh, he did burn through his tires a few times. That's, that's true. That is true. Um, it so, was, yeah, it, it was good to see the, the yellow racing team Netherland car at the front for a little while, but there was there was so much going on at the first part of the race, and then there was so much going on through the race, and so much going on at the end of the race. But, Ollie, I feel like we can't talk about the eight hours of Bahrain without talking about GTE Pro first. Are you okay with that? Is everyone I mean, okay I, with that? Cool. It's the elephant in the room. It, it is quite a bit. And, okay, so I'm going to take off my, my Porsche shirt here and my Porsche hat and oh, my Porsche thanks. socks. But you're Italian as well. I know, I know. I'm at this oh. very weird juxtaposition between these two brands. Um, I'm going to take the Ferrari poster off that wall and the Porsche poster off of that wall. We're going to put everything on the floor and we're just going to set the scene. So, as we said, uh, the championship between Porsche and Ferrari, the the driver's championship between the 91 and the 50, uh, 92 and the 51 was tied. Somehow, throughout the entire race... They had been effectively nose to tail the whole way, these two cars. Um, it was also winners take all, winner takes all in the manufacturers because first and fourth was worth more than second and third. So it was basically all to the line. Last in, Porsche comes in the pits, takes tyres. Ferrari comes in the pits, takes tyres. Nose to tail for the entire last stint, and we're talking like nose to tail. Um, using using something that a sim racing commentator uh, says, uh, a friend of mine says, nuts to butts the entire last stint. Uh, coming into the penultimate corner, a the United LMP2 car makes a pass on the pair of them. Christensen breaks a little bit earlier weaves to try and put something off or something. Not exactly sure. Gets hit from behind by Pierre Guidi in the Ferrari. Spins. Everyone loses their damn mind. Then things got weird. So Race Control gave the directive to the Ferrari that they must give that position back. They took the position. It was a bump and run. They took the position by making contact with the Porsche. They must give that position back. Porsche then come into the pits. This is where things get a little confusing because they the Ferrari had slowed down on the main straight to try and give that position back and didn't uh, and couldn't because the Porsche had come into the pits. The Ferrari then came into the pits, came out ahead and kept going to the end of the race. And as they crossed the line, the Ferrari had won the Drivers' and Manufacturers' Championship, but everyone was 
questioning it and it was a very confusing end to the race from G- a GTE Pro perspective. Now, in the aftermath, a, a few things happened. One, Neil Gianni interrupted uh, Alessandro Piaguidi's post-race interview, which was hilarious. I like... It was, okay, it was a little awkward, a little cringe, but it was also hilarious. Uh, and two, Porsche lodged a protest, which got knocked back, and they didn't lodge a further protest. So, at this stage, Ferrari has won the uh, the Manufacturers and Drivers' Championship in GTE Pro. Ollie, how does that make you feel? I don't want to say cheated. Um, like, I feel I feel bad for... Porsche, but also I feel bad for race control because there are so many different ways that would have been more quote unquote socially acceptable, like within the followers, but for the for the followers of this this championship. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean this this moment has gone far far and wide outside just WEC fans. You know, like people have seen this all over and within a wider motorsport kind of family, and it's kind of put WEC in a bad light. Um, and yeah, there's so many ways it could have gone better. Um, like it, it comes all the way down to, you know, the weird move in the first place. Like, so originally I I was looking at the replays again and again, and the Porsche went to the inside to block the LMP2 because in, in, in these battles, it's really good to get traffic in between at corners. So he, he was swerving and then the P2 still went for the dive bomb. So he avoided getting hit by the P2 or almost blocked. Uh, and then I guess he wanted to like cut back behind, do a cut back behind the, the P2 because it went quite deep into the corner in, in braking zone. But also the cutback would also block the Ferrari following the, uh, the P2 through. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, on one hand it's it's not not brake checking but you know braking too early as it were and how's alessandro pierre greedy gonna know that you know you're committed you're going so fast and then you got the reaction times you know these guys have got the some of the fastest reaction times of, of humans but they're still not gonna be able to to you know react and somehow manage to break more than the car's able to you know yeah. so it wasn't the, the the intent wasn't there but the rules aren't necessarily on intent yes, if you accidentally exactly. punt someone you're still going to get a penalty um and so yes they should have been penalized and they weren't really penalized you know y- you can slow down apparently it was to the tune of eight seconds i think they claimed that they slowed down on the pit straight you can't put the justice as it were in the hands of a racing driver 
to slow down at, at an arbitrary amount. Mm. Uh, yes, he wanted the the car to overtake and he was expecting the car to overtake. So, yes, sure. He wasn't slowing down to, to judge his own punishment. But to leave it at that and then say, oh, well, that's acceptable enough because there was a race control message to both teams saying you do not need to give the place back anymore. Um, now, <clears throat> if they were going to do another measure, like a, a time penalty after the race or um, wait for them to do the switchback if both they both pitted, um, so that after the pit cycle for the run to the flag, they then did the, the switch, you know, there are so many different permutations that would have been more sure they might have been a bit clunky but they they would have been more acceptable than to just sweep it under the rug it's like it's 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 hiding in plain sight yeah um it's not going to go away like to just go oh you know bumbling and just say oh oh it's done now there's nothing we can do no there's there were things you could do yeah. i i i wonder if um because what you said about the the weird move that Christensen did was was absolutely correct. He did move to block the P two to try and sandwich he, the the United car. I think it was Albuquerque behind the wheel at the time between the two GT cars. So there 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 was I, there was a, a bit of gamesmanship in there. I wonder if Race Control viewed that as then putting the Ferrari or putting neither party entirely at fault. So calling it a, a racing in- incident requiring a redress, not necessarily something that should be penalized because the precedent had been set throughout the race that avoidable contact would result in a penalty. And we saw it three or four times throughout the race. Ben Keating got a drive through penalty for making contact uh, at the end of the main straight. Uh, I think uh, the D station Aston Martin got a drive through penalty for making contact Catherine Legg got a drive through penalty for making contact. Uh, uh, not even an avoidable contact. She went for, uh, went for a pass that was on and had the driver in the car ahead of her turned down on her and got given a penalty. So I, I, I think the precedent had been set that these incidents, these moments of contact would be punishable by a drive through penalty. And I wonder if race control or the stewards, for that matter, had decided that they uh were that neither party was wholly or mostly at fault can you can you see that line of reasoning is that something that sounds reasonable yeah i mean there is a sliding scale with with um how bad uh incidents are on track but then also there's a sliding scale of things that race control can do um and you know regardless of how bad or not so bad there's still an imbalance between Mm. the two um you know it's so easy to just point as oh well these guys did this and this happened it's like yeah fair enough but then on its own it feels like there's a mismatch between what happened on track and then what happened from race control um and then you know Porsche uh, they they didn't really not necessarily put 
put themselves in glory with the way that they protested because they they protested in a weird way on something that didn't really make sense. So, so I actually claimed... got the protest in front of me. Uh, I yeah. actually gone and found the document. So it's a good thing that you bring that up. So the the protest was on the fact. Here's the specific word, wording. Um, the the protest is based on the violation of Article Two B, Chapter Five of Appendix L of the ISC, the International Sporting Conduct, um, specifying that an incident which consists in pushing a car must be reported to the stewards. So basically, what they were saying is that the incident never got reported to the stewards because the the direction came from the race director, not from the stewards. And if you look at the notice board on fiawc.alcomelsystems.com, which has all the race control decisions, there is no notice or no documentation of a decision uh, of a steward's inquiry into that incident. So, as if it was never under review, as if it was never under review, as if there was no documentation, as if the event never happened. Now, that is that to me stands out as a bit of a red flag because, in a high pressure situation like that, where it's the last 10 minutes of the race, the championship's on the line, and it is a punt, let's not let's not get around the fact the cars made contact, one car was significantly disadvantaged by this contact and that matter was never officially ruled on uh the all we got was a message from eduardo and i don't even think that a redress is within the battery of punishments that the stewards can can put put upon to use in in that situation so I'm I I I'm very vastly confused by that because ultimately I I think I agree most uh, with you in the fact that the events that led up to the end of the race uh feel unjust that it, it doesn't it doesn't pass the sink test to me it kind of sucks yeah there's a whole range of things you know would you be fine with the like a hold on that uh, pit stop that they were going to take you know for five seconds i i I think 10 seconds would be more appropriate but yeah something like that yeah or just you know look at the stints and see well were ferrari going to make it to the end probably not they had they were they made another stop so after they'd done the cycle of a stop and they came out uh, closer to each other then do the switch then um uh, yeah yeah it's it just there's so many so many options they could have done a, a time penalty if they really wanted to hard code it in just after the race do a x number of time penalty that then swaps the positions round you know yeah that would have sucked and it, it would have been a bit more blatant um doing a post race penalty is so much better doing it during the race but you know there, there was it would have uh, to be honest, probably been more acceptable that way um, than what we have now because it just feels like dirty. It feels wrong. It feels wrong, doesn't it? And I, like I know, I know there's Ferrari fans in the chat right now going, "Oh, but the tire strategy was very different, and the Ferrari was on better tires, and they might have made the pass anyway." It's it, th- that's all well and good, but 
it's it, it, it feels wrong. It, it really feels wrong. Uh, it doesn't pass the stink test. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like justice was was done properly there. Um, and they had a few opportunities to make better decisions. Um, so yes. Hopefully they learned from this. This is true, and, and I, I, they they put they put things in place to so this never happens again. There's going to be more eyes on the World Endurance Championship with the new era growing to strength to strength, more fans coming in, especially with Ferrari. Um, like you know, there's so much salt on <laughs> social media from you know, especially it's quite a phenomenon after like drive to survive and things like that the the social media boom of motorsports yeah um and it, you know it's starting to build with the likes of ferrari coming to top class sports cars again um and yeah it, they've got a duty to make sure that something like this never happens again because you know it it's a they're treading on eggshells egg potentially um, with what could happen on social media, yeah. um, with things like this again, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm a bit, I'm hopeful, and and uh, yeah, hopeful for them to sort this out. I trust them, um, and you know, it's fine making mistake, so long as it's the the first of that mistake. If you make those same mistakes again, then that's shit. Yeah. Great way of putting it. Um, yeah, so uh, in the end, it was Ferrari. It was Ferrari who took down home, I think, a sixth GTE Pro Championship, uh, Manufacturer's Championship as well. Um, and, yeah, I think we've ta- talked about everything. An asterisk on it. Yeah, big asterisk. Uh, what I will say, though, is that I was very impressed by the behavior of people in the WC Discord and uh, the subreddit as well. I I think while there was a lot of, not banter, because that wasn't really the right right mood, while there was a lot of discussion and while there was a lot of uh, disbelief, a lot of it was done very respectfully. And I think everyone kind of was on the same page about how the incident played out they were maybe differing opinions on how things were penalized or how the procedure should have been done. But I think for the most part, even those who were uh, supporting Ferrari and who were happy with the result, uh, I I think the way that it was a very respectful discussion. Um, And as a, as an addition to that as well, uh, I think uh, this battle will go down along with the, the likes of, the 2007 Laguna Seca GT2 finale, the battle in GT2 rages on. Um, that one, and of course, as well, the Sebring, uh, the last lap of the Sebring 12 hours in 2010. Um, which, and this year. And this year as well, um, which are just fi- GT finishes that have been, that are still being argued all to this very day. Uh, so that in that respect, that's kind of interesting to see. It is. It was like in retrospect, it's quite funny. But the 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 stuff that went on with the podium and the national anthems and the refusal to celebrate and all those sort of things that that was all kind of. Uh, but you can totally understand how gutted and frustrated and angry the Porsche guys must feel at that moment. 
they put their whole life into that and then for it to end like that you know out out of their control mm. um yeah I, I to be honest i don't really yeah it's a bit shitty and way to act when you're a loser but i, I kind of don't blame them so yeah and, and well, what, in the heat of the not moment. neil Jarney, not neil johnny but um <laughs> that was a bit of a weird act but um i like okay okay i even when it happened i found that hilarious and i'll tell you why yeah it, it is so rare that we actually see, like, I think sports cars, more so maybe than, like, some other uh, series, the driver kind of gets lost um, because you are swapping between drivers. It's very hard to really build a proper personality around these drivers, especially when there's, you know, at Le Mans, there's 60 cars, so there's 180 drivers. It's very hard to build personalities around each and every one. So the fact that you actually get to see a driver acting like a human, being, a, a, you know, a personality and being upset but doing so in a way that's not like sure he interrupted the post-race interview he had some very choice words for Pierre Guidi and uh was not kind in his assessment of the the incident but he wasn't swearing in the interview he wasn't making physical threats he was just someone who was very dicked off with the last 10 minutes of what had just happened so to see that and to see that so raw and not so respectful but you know still be human and be okay with that that was i i thought that was it was really really funny but in a in a good way for the series yeah 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 i i mean yeah uh there's a there's a line with that though where yeah. you kind of you don't want to go like we don't want to see that every round americanized yeah you know um it's this guy and this guy and they really want to but have a punch up in the paddock, you know. Mm. Um, we do want emotion, like motorsport, as you say, is kind of the only sport genre where the human isn't focused on. Uh, you know, yeah, they're in view, but not really. And you can't see their emotion. You can't see facial expression. You can't see their effort. They're like an emotionless robot within the car yeah so it is good for the sport to shine a light on this but it also kind of maybe that's why it's so jarring yeah because okay. we're not used to it in motorsport to I'll see acts like that but um yeah um if i would be more on board with it if Johnny was more uh was was he let's be honest he was kind of carried if they won the title, <laughs> he was going to be encouraged. So if he yeah, 100%. Like, was was if 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 it was his teammate, if it was Esther doing that, yeah, yeah. If it was if it was Kevin Esther doing that, it would be like fair play. I mean, Kevin Est, like you've had the best, one of the best seasons of a GT career, and and then for for that to happen to your career and basically your season because he was the guy in that car yeah the guy that season fair play like you, you've backed that up but for neil Jarney to do it it's just like oh come on i'll pay that i'll 100 pay that uh okay let's talk about other stuff just quickly to round off on that porsche porsche or ferrari uh who should have won that uh championship uh well i just said like 
just looking at Kevin Estra's season, he should have won that championship. So Porsche. Porsche, I agree. I should, it should have been Porsche. Okay, I can put everything back up on my walls. We're done with that now. LMH, an actually interesting race for a little while in LMH. Alpine led for like 30 minutes. What the heck? Um, Lapierre in that first stint was, it was incredible. Uh, and really took the fights to the Toyotas in the first stint. He was, he was going for it and he actually pulled out a bit of a lead until, until, until the most reliable car on the grid ran into reliability problems. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, I, it's the story of the season in terms of LMH being good for the first stint because it's, you forget the uh, the stint discrepancy, mm. that's uh, the stint length problem, and the fuel tank problem that that's then just going to dominate the rest of the race. Um, yeah, uh, Toyotas were, were too reliable again um, to have any implications for Alpine coming in the mix. Their just their job is to run reliably and wait. You mm. know. <laughs> Like that's their job, and they didn't run reliably, but also it didn't really matter because the Toyotas were pretty reliable. You know, like arguably, this was maybe one of their most, despite the heat, this was m- maybe the most reliable round. Yeah, kind that's... of like the double header Bahrain, because because we had braking issues. Um, that sort of thing. Uh, there was like break by wire issues, I think, from the Toyotas. Um, and then you also had at Le Mans the that fuel pump, weird fuel tank, yeah, um, breather problem. That was a wild problem. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a shame that <laughs> they're reliable for Alpine's part, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's just how it goes, really. They yeah. they enlarged their their fuel tank as well. Um. But it didn't really make a difference. Not enough. Um, the, the, yeah, yeah this discrepancy is still too large to have a real um, impact. Uh, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it was compounded as well by the gearbox issues that the Alpine did have. They were struggling, I think, in upshifts, get, getting a gear to properly sit in or they something had a selector yeah a selector problem yeah. yeah so lapierre was struggling with that he said he was struggling for 10 laps before he finally had to pull over to the side of the road and limp it, limp mode it back to the pits um so the fact that he was even able to fight for those 10 laps was quite impressive in itself and we've seen all the very best of nicola lapierre this season in the alpine um certainly been the pick of the crop in that machine but it did set up quite a nice little b story uh for the lmh class of course uh beyond the toyotas just puttering away at the front uh the the race back to the podium for the alpine was quite an interesting one and uh, uh, with with a few uh, FCYs to help uh, help them get some pit stops against their competition, they managed to get back on the podium. So well done them, and they did it by a lap as well. Yeah, I mean, silver linings, Ollie, silver linings. Yeah, and and it's you know it it's kind of what could have been because now this discrepancy is being hidden by more people joining. Mm. the top class next season so it's kind of this what the opposite of what happened in gt pro um you know with the numbers coming down and and 
highlighting discrepancy now we're going to have the opposite now the discrepancy is going to be kind of forgotten um unless they're given uh what we have on endurance chat have been calling for um several different uh ways to go the same thing i've written on sportscarengineering.co.uk subtle plug um (laughs) uh yeah, there, there, there are ways that they should, could go. Um, and yeah, just got to hope that they, um, yeah, trust Alpine. They've put down the big bucks. They've committed now. So, um, yeah, I guess give them a reward. Hope so. Uh, that would be nice. It would be nice to not have another uh, season where we just kind of forget the top class exists. But more on that uh, later on. Let's talk about LMP2 because LMP2 was an intriguing race again, but once again, dominated by WRT. They just can't stop winning in that damn WRT car. They're too strong. So it kind of turned the rest of the race into a battle for the podium. And again, it was Joda Sport versus United to, to round out the podium. And again, it was a last lap, uh, well, sorry, late stint uh, bust up between the two Joda cars. The two Joda cars have come together more times than any other pair of LMP2 cars this season. It was just wild, the amount of times that Blomquist and uh, Antonio Felix da Costa found each other on track. Can't they just not run into each other? Like, damn. When a championship's on the line, like, you just got to go for it. You just got to go for it. Even against your own teammate, though. That's the thing. They, like, they crashed into each other on lap one of Portimao. They were tagging each other in uh, Bahrain 1. I think even in Monza as well, they came a cropper. And uh, it's it's they, they seem to just find each other every single time. And I mean, of course, that must be because they're similarly paced and they're run by a very good outfit. But I thought rule number one is you don't hit your teammate. And they did it so many times. So many times. Well, just showing off how uh, they uh, they uh, make those cars strong. I mean, I guess uh, if they they've managed to get up the the front, no, maybe maybe Blomqvist and Antonio Felix da Costa just have a personal beef with each other. That that must be it. <laughs> Honestly, uh, but yeah. So Joda took home the the both paces on the podium, but it wasn't going to be enough to take the the championship away from WRT, who've just. Had an immaculate season, truth be told. How how many races have they won this year uh, in ELMS and WC combined? Gosh, that's a good stat. Oh, let's go with seven. So they won the last three races in the WEC. Let's look at the ELMS. I think they won the first, at least the first two. Do they win the first three in the WEC? Uh, in the and they won Le Mans. In, in the oh yeah, countries. that was part of the last three. Um, they won. I think they won at like at least three European Le Mans series rounds. We're we're gonna so... we're gonna we're gonna find this. Um, so they won in Spa Francorchamps. They won at the Red Bull Ring. They won at Spa Francorchamps again. Sorry, they won at Barcelona. So they took you, you guess seven. They took home six. So you got close. Ooh. You, that's a pretty good, pretty good, pretty good job, Ollie. I'm I'm impressed. Complete guess. <laughs> you guess you guessed well. Um. So yeah, what what a, what a big season from WRT. We want to talk a bit bit more about that later on. Um. But 
just quickly, LMP2, your thoughts on the class as a whole this season? It was very much a, a transferring of dominance, uh, I th- in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's just, I don't want to be too cynical, but it's like they had, they were reliable, but they had the best silver driver. Yeah. And, you know, it is, to be honest, Jota were the biggest winners in terms of it, the driver lineups that they had. Like Gonzalez, he had he he was really good at when they were at Dragon Speed when there was the red car. Yes, and then he... then he moved to to Jota Sport, and it, I I was surprised at the drop off in his pace or in the performance and the and the the um, results of his car. But now it's like crap. He's back, and he's someone who, like I said with Smichowski, is going to be. Should, should be a silver for a while he's a bit of an older driver mm. so you know if you want to build a longevity you know a base around a silver driver that will be silver for a long time rather than just have this you know uh, revolving door like g drive um of just rin- rinsing and repeat a new silver each year like if you want to have a base of, of longevity then this car will be it um same thing again with Sean Galeal, yeah, sure, he's rapid and he has single-seater experience, um, but he's not, you know, a top-tier, super, super, super silver. Yeah. So for them to to turn out these results, um, yeah, sure, they're picking up podiums rather than wins all the time like WRT, but I think they are probably... They'll look back on the season and think we've actually got a lot out of... Oh, uh, silvers. Yeah, yeah certainly. And, and to come home for um, Joda Sport with a, a double victory at Portimao um, after making contact on the first lap, uh, a Lamar second place, and you know uh, podiums in every race bar Monza in the WEC. They they'll be pretty happy with that, along with Galeo's, uh two wins in the Asian Le Mans series as well. Let's not forget. Uh, you know, it's a it's a good starting point for them. Well, you know, not starting point, but uh, they, they're they going to be a big team again, again, still. Jota are good is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> Very good. What about uh, the GT, uh, the LMP2 Pro-Am Championship as well? Because that came down to the very wire uh, in the la- final throws of the... Uh, the race um it was a heads-up battle between racing team netherland real team racing and dragon speed dragon speed actually fell away quite a bit towards the end but the gap between the two uh pro-am machines um for the for the championship let's not forget both run by tds as well only 16 seconds at the end of the eight hours uh so that's uh, for a championship for a brand new championship to go down the wire like that that's pretty a pretty cool result and i i saw that fritz was ecstatic being able to stand at the top step of the podium yeah let's you're go quite, you're quite chuffed as well <laughs> i think all the duchies were very chuffed yeah it was good no uh I, to be honest i like i i said with uh, about jota sport I think the same could be said for 
was it real team yeah like they when they joined it was a bit of a shit show like they still had really good pros but Esteban Garcia was quite slow at the first few rounds um so for them to turn it around and like actually be competing for a for a if you told me at the start of the season after the first race that they would be going into the last race on a shootout to win a category regardless of it being pro-am bronze category i'd be not believing you one bit um so yeah fair play um i also thought you know foolishly racing team nadelon would not necessarily walk the pro-am category but i thought they would have wouldn't have taken it to the last race um and like you said been so close at the end of the last race um but yeah i, I don't know about p2 prime as a whole we might talk about that later we'll but um sec, yeah. yeah um happy for fritz uh ironically the winning of the championship winning of the subcategory might be kind of a bookend to his weck time okay um because it now is like well i've completed it mate so uh let's go to imsa yeah, well, that's we're seeing a very interesting trend of a lot of uh, bronze drivers taking their wares over to IMSA. Um, but we'll just stay on the LMP2 Pro Am. Um, there's there's a stat that Graham Goodwin loves to pull out of his pocket every single time they mention uh, Fritz van Erd. Um, Fritz van Erd is one of only two bronze drivers to win an ACO LMP2 class uh, victory. Uh, to, to win a race in the LMP2 class overall uh, as a bronze driver. Uh, can you name the other bronze driver Henrik that's Hedman. done it? Henrik Hedman, yes, correct. Can you name the races that they were, they were, they did it in? So I was, at, oh no, I wasn't at, uh, because it was in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was there when I think they got second at Silverstone. Yeah, for, that's right. Uh, on, racing Tim Nadelon. On the last lap. Um, yeah. Uh, I think it was Fuji. 2019 yep was okay and then what about headman oh headman i think it was um monza or was it paul ricard it was certainly not monza i'll give you that i i think um let's go it was certainly an elms race i'll give you that much Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an ELMS race. Um, I I am trying to find it because I think my memory is that it was at um at Port uh, not Portimao, sorry, Estoril as one of the season closes. But I don't want to say I don't want to put my that was too long ago. Uh, it wouldn't Estoril have been too, was long, too long, ago. long ago. It wouldn't have been too long ago because Henrik Hedman definitely raced uh, in 2015 at Estoril with Ben Hanley and with. Um, Nikolai Lapierre in that car as well. I think, uh, in in 2015, I can a hundred percent. I I I'll put my uh hat in the ring on that one. Um, but I'm trying to remember whether or not they won that race or whether or not uh they finished second. And someone in the chat's probably got it all sorted out. 
already and we just haven't been looking at the chat. So it wasn't in 2015. We're going to go deep into the archives, lads. Not at Estoril and it was not at Paul Ricard. It was at Spa Francochamps. Oh. In 2016. There you go. There, there indeed you go. Where they finished ahead of um, Team WRT of all teams as a one-off uh, LMP2 run. Uh, and then Tyrie by TDS Racing is as the third place team. Would you look at that? Wow, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, t- uh, get this, WRT uh, in LMP2 featuring Dries Vantor, Lawrence Vantor, and Will Stevens. Wow, that's a feather in your cap. Far out. LMP2 legend, Rick Hedman. <laughs> oh, brilliant. That's that's the stuff we love to see. Okay, um, GTM, uh... This one was unfortunately probably one of the victims uh, from the eight hours of Bahrain, a class that really didn't get the chance to sign like the other ones did. Uh, The championship battle, it was already a a bit of a a long shot uh, with the AF Corsa car having to finish outside the top four and TF Sport taking the win to to take the championship. Um, But really, the championship was over on that one. Uh, ben Keating and uh, Paul Delano coming to uh, a cropper at turn three, uh, front to rear contact at the tire, giving both cars a puncture, and and really just uh, putting pay to any championship fight uh, at the end of lap one. And uh, it got went from bad to worse for T- TF Sport with Keating on the recovery drive, breaking the steering rack, making contact with another car, and just all round having a shit day. Uh, and uh, retiring from the race for TF Sport, which is the first time in a long time that they've uh, had a retirement. Uh, it's not something you like to see uh, on the first lap of the race, but really anything can happen on the first lap. Yeah, it's a bit embarrassing, um, especially after being so good at the round before. Um, for Keating... Uh, same thing with Aston Martin, the other the the other Aston Martin, the AMR car. Like, uh, what could have been, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, the uh, the thing as well, Keating has been such a strong driver in uh, in the in the Bahrain race, and I was so prepared. I was so prepared for him to do exactly what he did to, uh, two years ago, where he did a triple stint to start the race. The only bronze still triple stint. And that set them up for the entire race, and they won by over a minute, um, basically untroubled. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. And if you do find the interview uh, that uh, Keating did with uh, Louise Beckett in the pits, he it surprised me a lot because I've never seen Keating more angry. Well, angry is probably not the right word. He was certainly frustrated. He was steaming, but he was still very understanding of what had happened and seemed seemed to to understand what Paul Dallana, who was in the car, the Aston Martin a racing car, what he'd done, why he'd done it, but why it was wrong. It was it was a very interesting interview. It kind of shows to me how much 
Keating thinks about his driving, which I'm I, I don't know why I'm so surprised by. He's uh, uh he like eats sleeps this mm. um like he's so invested. Um like he is someone he's someone who uh is very interesting um he's got very interesting history. Someone who's struggled a lot with addiction. Okay. And drugs. Um when he was a lot younger. Um, like through his teenage years and early twenties. Um so after coming clean, like this is kind of his addiction. Yeah. Um, as it were. Um and like you can tell <laughs> that <laughs> this is his addiction. Like he's so invested and like it means a lot to him. So yeah, to to have incidents like that um as another thing that I mentioned with emotion, like mm. it it's it's really interesting to see his interviews and things like that. Yeah, it's great. I- and he he is one of the the personalities of the WC Paddock, and it has been quite nice to see these bronzers uh, get more airtime and become more a part of the WC landscape, the WC furniture, so to speak. Like the the amount of fans that Keating has uh, as a as a driver, or that Paul Dallana has, or that Perotto has, or you know these these guys that are willing to put themselves out there and to be on screen and to give these interviews and to have personality. It's great to see them stick around and continue to, to win fans and win, win people's hearts. Yeah. And people look at this, this kind of race and you uh, like from afar, I did this as well when I was uh, learning about the sport and this, or this type of um, motorsport. And it's kind of like, Oh, well, they're the, they're the guys at the back who are just, you know, the filthy rich people, um, Making up the numbers. Yeah, yeah, making up the numbers, exactly. But then once you actually, like, look deeper into the history of Ben Keating or Fritz van Eerd or Perodo, that sort of thing, or Paul Dallalana, you like, you, you, it, it's different, but it's still just like, you know, being a fan of a pro driver. Mm. Um, like, it's more... It's more human. Um, like I said, you know, uh, Keating struggling with addiction and things like that. Like, it it makes them more, like, real, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, besides uh, the fact that they're all filthy effing rich. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Have you, have you seen Perodo's car collection? Oh, Woo! I don't want to make myself sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, yeah, there's a, there, there's a, there are several stages of uh, whenever I look at his car collection, you you have the the shock, the the uh, the eyes like turn into hearts, and then there's stages of jealousy and anger and <laughs> and sadness. Just, yeah, just the five sadness. the five stages of yeah. grief. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, classic. Um, he, well, he might have the opportunity to add another one to his. Uh, list of list uh, collection of cars with the uh, championship going his way as well and am I finally transmitting back onto Discord? Uh, uh, the championship going the way of Perodo as well so uh, he's probably got enough in the kitty to pick up something brand new after a, a championship win uh, he seemed to 
not do it easy, but it was certainly uh, not as vigorous a battle we've seen in GTM championships in the past. Yeah, I mean they waltzed to the championship. Okay, relatively. Well, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna say it, but yeah, they waltzed the championship. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean. Yeah, fair. Alessia Rivera, yes, Silver, yes. despite being a factory driver yes. for like SRO races yes. and things like that. Yes. So, I mean, but you could say well, the same thing about Rod, uh, Ross Gunn last year. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, like, I'm not hating the player. I'm hating the game. This is true. Um, I wonder. Like, this, fair play. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I will, I will pay that. Uh, the Porsches actually battled uh, quite nicely to the end of the race. The same two Porsches, uh, Project One and Dempsey Proton. Uh, Christian Reed in the Dempsey Proton number seventy-seven car, the only bronze driver brave enough to do the Ben Keating triple uh, at, to start the race. Everyone else broke up their stints, and in the end. That was uh, enough for Jackson Evans and Matt Campbell to roar through the field later on and take second place on the line, effectively. It was 0.123 of a second uh, that separated the two Porsches at the end of the race. I think Matt Campbell making that move on Matteo Cairoli out of the last corner. So, like, that went to the wire as well. Good fun times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I GTM, like... It's it's great. Yeah, it's brilliant. Watch GTEM. Uh and that that kind of wraps up the the 8 hours of Bahrain. So, quick quick thoughts. Uh 8 hours of Bahrain. Good, bad and different. Um it can stay. <laughs> nice. I I like that. Yeah. I like that. I think it I agree. It can stay. It is a good a, a good taste. Um a, a good taste, a good it's it's a nice way to finish. It's a good a good a good a good finish to the season. Definitely. Uh, yeah. And on that note, uh, we'll take a quick break here, uh, and we'll be back to wrap up the episode with some extra discussions just after this. This podcast is proudly supported by the Racing Line. The Racing Line is a motorsport calendar and notification app for iPhones and iPads. It includes all major series, with more being added all the time, giving you a daily and weekly list of races so you can easily see what's coming up. All events are converted to your local time zone, so you no longer have to faff around, adding or taking away hours to work out start times in your area. Finally, it also lets you customise notifications for events, so you can choose when you're notified about certain race series. The app is available on the iOS App Store. Just search for The Racing Line. Find out more at www.theracingline.app. Now, back to the podcast. And welcome back to this episode of Endurance Chat. Thank you very much to The Racing Line. Ollie, we've got some discussions to have. Uh, Now that we're at the end of WEC Season 2021, uh, first question I have for you. Good, bad, or a different W WC season twenty twenty one. Wasn't the best, um, but it's interesting. Like it's still, it's still the long game. Um, you know, it's setting up the. You know, it's a an amuse bouche for what we're going to have in future. Yeah. I, I, I've. I understand, though, listeners getting frustrated 
because I've been saying that like every time when we've had a bad race or like a bad whatever that it's like trust it will get better but um I can at least say that with more confidence because Peugeot is coming back yes um and we don't have to constantly be treating it as Toyota versus privateers and I'm including Glickenhaus in that yeah I, I fair enough I'd include Glickenhaus in that as well um I tend to agree um it has had its moments certainly um it, it's one of those things though I, I quite like sports cars because even when you have sort of boring races boring seasons not saying this was a boring season but uh sort of seasons which weren't 2016 um there is still storylines to track there is still nuances to to follow and that that has been very nice it's been uh as well the the first uh season of lmh um the first that we've just had um i know it's very difficult to say, but thoughts on how the class has gone in its debut season? Um, good question. Um, of them, apparently. I think it's tough because Toyota's dominance isn't their fault. Yeah, it's not. It's not Toyota's fault that Alpine aren't being given a fair shot uh, because of the stint discrepancy. Yep. It's not Toyota's fault that Glickenhaus is slow. It could have been worse, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. We could have had just the Toyotas all season. That's... Yeah. It's just another bridge, you mm. know? The, the, the thing that I'll answer that with is that we've already had so many seasons that are bridges is is yep. sort of the thing and 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 the action that we have had in the top class has been very clearly manufactured and i mean you know rebellion has won some won some races last season and smp were in the in the hunt uh before they left but they were only in the hunt for the podium because they weren't given the full success ballast system that the the other uh that the rebellion was but it, we we have been in transition uh in the in the WEC top class for a number of seasons now half a decade if you believe it or not uh will be um since it will it be since Audi left um so it's it's certainly been uh a a long transition period uh now we've talked you mentioned Peugeot coming back next year Alpine will be back with a with the LMH, uh, sorry, the the upgraded LMP1, the grandfathered LMP1 again. Glickenhaus will be back with a single car. Will Toyota have it all their own way next year in 2022? So the big um, difference, other than Peugeot joining, um, is the different the change to the tires. Yeah. So. There, there's going to be a substantial change to the, to the tyres um, that should be uh, doing two things. Reducing the discrepancy between four-wheel drive, so rear um, engine, front axle, uh, e-motor, hybrid, let's say, yeah. um, so drive. Yeah, and Peugeot. Yeah, um, 
compared to the rear only drive um glickenhaus were having trouble with the tire temperatures and um uh, just in general performance um and a lot of that came down to managing the tires and just what they can get out of the performance of those tires so we should see glickenhaus um closer so you know getting in the mix maybe honestly it's toyota versus peugeot for the win and then um there'll be like a subclass of alpine versus glickenhaus maybe um but yes um I'll, it will be interesting to see two oem factories finally again um to see what the bop is yeah. really like that um will be interesting. yeah that's going to be the talking point i think uh peugeot when do we see them uh i think they want to do every round they recently they did do there was an article last week or or this week about them uh warning about not being able to get to the first race um i think they were not happy with the tire dimension change they would have known in advance though so it or should have known in advance so it's kind of feels a bit weird that kind of explanation but um i mean you need an excuse so go with it um i don't blame them like they're still some of the first to uh stick their head out uh, above the parapet um mm. with their with a hypercar so um but the trouble is like we've been given giving the top class leeway as you said so it's like when does it actually you know how how long is it until there are more and more and more people just giving up mm. um you know absolutely uh i have uh, i think my let me try that entire sentence again from what i understand the most recent information that i've seen is that peugeot are going to try for spa which will be round two next year um so ahead of lamar i i'd love to see them at lamar but there is a chance that they don't from what i heard and i think that would be a massive hit to the championship and to peugeot i think that would probably be like worst case scenario It'd be like a national embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, the French would be charging down the streets with their baguettes. Um, <laughs> and white flags. If... <laughs> Damn it. Um, if that's the case, if, uh, if uh, Peugeot aren't ready for Le Mans, what happens then? Is LMH going to be worth watching next season if Peugeot aren't there for Le Mans? If Peugeot don't get there for Le Mans, will they join next season? They will join because, you know, data is valuable. So even if they do half a season, you know, they then set up for the next season, as it were. With, with it, without Le Mans, though? I would, like, if I, was, if I was a program director... And we couldn't get to Lamar. I would put off the homologation because remember you're locked in for five years. 
I I would put that off until the start of the next season because yeah. I and so you wouldn't do a Nissan. I wouldn't do a Nissan. No. I yeah. I would I would do I would make sure that if I'm not going to be there for the marquee event, I'm going to do everything that I can to start the next season in the best shape possible. They are the thing about that though is they are given over their five year homologation. I think five Joker upgrades. Oh, yeah. So they they can have a jet, get out of jail kind of card. To yeah. Play. Okay. But like it is, you know, you do want as much time as possible to iron out everything. You know, make sure everything is perfect. Um, and you know, do loads of endurance tests. They've got ten race engines now i think oh wow so they've got they've got plenty to run through in testing just yeah rinse through them doing laps and laps and laps of testing to just see to iron out everything um dot all of the t's and cross all the i's um (laughs) as i say and yeah make sure everything's ready to go because like we said we don't want to do a nissan um, and be a bit of an embarrassment, especially, you know, at Le Mans, uh, in front of a home crowd. Um, in the preparation for the centenary event. Y- yeah, exactly. I mean, Le Mans will always be Le Mans. Yeah. Like anything can happen. Um, so that will still be like a standalone, but, but your question was about WEC. So yeah. Um, uh, it, it'll be tough if they are absent yeah absolutely uh lmp2 is that the best debut season for any team in a new championship ever for wit they come because they've come into elms and they come to the world endurance championship and they won we decided it was six out of the 12 races they won half the races on offer including lamar is that the best debut championship ever in sports cars, in yes, sports cars, I guess. Like, uh, who who else comes close? Who else comes close from a team's McLaren winning ninety five on debut? Yeah, okay. <laughs> the only manufacturer to ever do that. Just you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, that's fine. Yeah, whatever. But the yeah, I mean, I guess whether. Porsches in the 70s or whatever when they first came out were they that dominant as well it's like there there are these in history these shifts these big shifts in perception and I think this is one of those like we were always talking about you know grumbling about g-drivers being an evil empire and then United had a great season we were like oh shit no actually they are actually bad guys because they're always winning and it's like rather than winning some of the races and letting others go no no they're sweeping the floor and they're they're having like perfect session perfect weekends where they have like fastest lap in every single session and win the race and get pole position and and that and looking back it's like oh i wish i could have that again because (laughs) they still let other people win every now and then uh, did they though? United, like... United went on a spell where they won something like eighteen races in a row or something mental in LMP2. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't winning like 
It wasn't winning like the same way that WRT have been winning. I get that. Yeah, yeah. yeah in two different seasons, uh, two different uh, categories or race um, series, uh, and then like they were almost that dream one two at Le Mans as well. Like, <laughs> you, you, yeah, it wasn't a perfect season, but. It was pretty damn close. If you're if you're three minutes away from uh or or how many kilometers away from a one two at Le Mans on your debut, it's like that that's a good descriptor of how good they were this this year. Yes, they. I I I honestly can't think of any other team in any other discipline of any other sport that has been that good in their debut season in a new. Spec, actually, Braun. Okay, yeah, I will pay that. I will pay Braun. Uh, even though after half season they did not get another race win, I will pay Braun. Um, that it's just it's just kind of incredible. And it, it, what about the the LMP2 cycle of dominance? Now we've seen. Uh, you we just mentioned United. Joda Sport had a great few seasons in the past. I think twenty. 15, 16, they were up there. G-Drive has been the... We've joked about them being the evil empire for years and years and years. Is this the way that LMP2 is going to work? Are we going to see cyclic levels of dominance or are we going to see a all a no-holes-barred hit-out at the front round after round after round again ever? What, what, what do you reckon? It's interesting. It's a good question because we are seeing like a a seismic shift um, with LMP two mm. as it as it recalibrates where it you know its identity uh, under when uh, LM well, when hypercar has you know big grid sizes in a couple of years time. Um, a big part of that is the driver rankings changing as well. Yeah. Um, we're less likely to see super teams with big budgets paying for a, a silver that doesn't have that doesn't come with budget and is basically a professional a young professional that is only there to win the championship and then get uprated to gold um having like a fully pro team in in that regard where the silver isn't bringing budget and they're just there to be amazing versus more legit silvers bringing budget you know like Julian Canal is a good example like Roberto these Gonzalez. guys that yeah or Schmichowski, mm. like these guys it's they're going to be closer to the bleeding edge of of the race so then there will be it will be harder for a team to then or it should be harder mm. for a team to be miles ahead yeah so i would say with the driver rankings changing on the one hand it's just you're just changing the line in the sand there will be outliers statistics you know there will be guys that are too quick and um will break the driver rankings but on the other hand in in terms of trying to be positive the the class should be more homogenous yep in theory so hopefully 
it will be better racing, closer racing across the field. And um, whether that stops a, uh, a team running away with it, we're yet to see. I wonder, something I've been thinking about a little while is um, you made great mention of where the LMP2 class kind of sits at the moment because with how weak the top class has been, whether that's been LMP1 or LMH currently, currently at this very moment in time with the three entries that we had at Bahrain, it means that a lot of the top driver talent that we would normally see in LMP1, whether they be in a factory effort, privateer effort, whatever, has been shuffled down to LMP2. I mean, you look at Ant Davison, former uh, LMP1 factory driver for Toyota, Felipe Albuquerque. World champion. World champion. Felipe Albuquerque raced the uh, R18 um, uh, for Audi. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the top LMP1 drivers that haven't gone into either factory GT drives or Formula 1 or Formula E or whatever, whatever, have found their way into LMP2 machinery. Uh, and so I wonder if it, it's not only just the absolute top of the, uh, the top of the teams that are have hypercar ambitions or have LMDH ambitions um, that are enabling the super silver phenomena that we've seen, but also the top professional drivers that are then going to move up into um LMDH or LMH drives when they become available, whether we see a, a great recentering of the class to be more pro am focused with like with those silvers, like you mentioned, Julian Canal, Roberto Gonzalez, um, and uh, what other silvers? Just looking at this year's Le Mans list because I have it just in front of me. Uh, what other silvers do you reckon fits the sort of true silver uh, mark? The guys like. Um, well, uh, yeah, Jakub Spikowski would be one of them. Um, maybe, oh, I don't even know here. Uh, Vincent Capellier, maybe? Um, who else jumps out? Because everyone else is either a bronze, and so definitely... Pierre Rack. Pierre Rack, yeah, fair. Pierre Lafargue as well. Anders Fjordback. Yes, definitely. he might be a super silver in he, the next. He, uh, yeah, he might year, be the know? next. The next run of super silvers, the 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 sort of living, breathing racing guys who never quite made it. That that might be the the next super silver phenomenon in LMP two. What about what about see. what about LMP two Pro Am? How do we feel about the LMP two Pro Am Championship this year? First year that it's been run, was it a good addition or was it? not required felt a bit weird because it wasn't a legit class yeah okay like it was a subset so it's good to you know shine a light like we said on those characters that would have been hidden like you want more interviews you're more likely to interview uh, uh in the pits someone who's leading the race in pro-am versus them being sixth in p2 yeah good point. um so it it shines the light on those characters um it's good for better for the sponsors that way um these guys are getting talked about more also they're doing it for fun they know they're not going to win a championship at, at, at a p2 on the whole level so for them to fight for a trophy 
um, you know, and give their all. Um, I think it's a good a good thing. Um, it felt a bit weird. I think the the presentation was for Gentleman of the Year, and it's like, well, there's Gentleman drivers in GTE as well, and so also uh, an entire team of you know women driving. Yeah, yeah, that too. Um, I don't think they were. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they weren't the pro am class; they were trio silvers. But you know, representation is important. And... Oh, it's the Iron Dames in GT as well. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, mm. honestly, I think the name. Of, this is something we said about the ACO a few times. The naming was probably one of the worst things about the class. They should have called yes. it. P2 bronze or something because the entire class is a pro am class. Bronze trophy or bronze trophy, yeah. yeah. You know, actually make it something that means something as opposed to LMP2 pro am. What is it like an SRO it's class? It's confusing. Yeah, because if you if someone asks, oh, what's LMP2? You say, oh, well, it's it's prototypes like the top class, but it's pro am, and it's mm. like, oh, okay. So then, what's LMP2 pro am? Oh, well, it's the pro am class of prototypes. But then it's the pro am pro am, yeah, of it, and it's like, oh, come on, just make it simple. Yes, yes, I, I think this is something that sports car sports car administrators struggle with sometimes. Uh, just it, it, it just make it simple. The, the the sport already has enough nuance and difficulty as it is. It doesn't need to be made more nuanced and difficult by dumb names. Just keep it simple. Pretend that you're scientists. Pretend that you're naming a new freaking molecule. Use IUPAC naming conventions. Damn it. It's got bronzes in it. It's bronze class. Just like... And even if they don't want to be, you know, associated with being a bronze, just call it P2 Cup. Yeah, that's like a great name. For GT, for GT3 Cup. You have older GC3s or, or Cup class Are you trying cars, to tell me know? that all the bronze drivers are old guys? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> um, it was good to see how excited Fritz was, though, to get get his own podium and his own uh, celebration at the end, though. I think that was good and that was important. Yeah, definitely. It's good to see. I mean, it's also good for the fans. Mm. They get to celebrate something um, that, on the other hand, though, when they do get a really good result, like in Fuji, with the race win, like, that moment i will never forget because it's like they were the david versus the goliaths yeah absolutely to win right they can still win outright but the outright p2 class win trophy like outweighs like all of the individual p2 pro-am wins yeah certainly added together like it, it it's it does kind of phone it in as a class win kind of thing to me i i i certainly respect that but we've already made mention this podcast that has only happened twice in the entire history of the or the entire modern history of aco racing um there has only ever been two bronze drivers that have won overall so it is like it's it's once in a blue moon sort of stuff um so for a lot of the other time, I think the bronze drivers particularly go fall massively under the radar, and I think it has been good to celebrate them this year. I'm not sure that I'm entirely happy with the Pro-Am category as it stands, um, but I think it has been good to celebrate them this year at the very at a, at a minimum. 
100%. Cool. Uh, GTE Pro, uh, we have... This has probably been the, the, the bridging season for GTE Pro. We will have more GTE Pro next year. I think the final season of GTE Pro, including more entries than we've had this year because Corvette's committed to a full season WEC entry, which is wild. Thoughts on GTE Pro and how GTE Pro has been for 2021? Good, bad, indifferent. It's a bit meh, Mm. to be honest. Like, (laughs) the controversy from last weekend was kind of like the best bit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In a, in a, like, dirty way, in a bad way, like, in a, in a selfish way. Um, I'm glad Corvette has, um, committed to a full season. Um, I am, yeah, I'm, um, happy to see them there and will, uh, follow their, season with great interest um i also uh the rumors that a tf sport backed pro aston martin might be joining so um with um nikki team and that lot so that um yeah it that would be really nice to have as a um a cherry on top uh, as the final last season of GTE Pro, because to go out on just having two OEMs is, you know, is a bit of a sad finale. We want like a crescendo. So I think next season should be good. And I'm going to try and enjoy every second of it because it's a, a limited resource. Mm, absolutely. And GTE pro particularly has been some of the best racing in the past five or four or five seasons um you know it, it wasn't too long ago we had 17 entries at Le Mans in gte pro so uh i i am quite excited to see corvette uh take the challenge i'm quite excited for that next year uh, i just hope that we see the close racing that gte pro has become known for and less of the BOP controversies that it has been in recent memory. Uh, GTM, any quick notes on GTM? It was a, a very, I don't want to say one-sided season, but you said one-sided season earlier. Uh, silver silver drivers really having an effect on GTM. But now that we've had a season of the new qualifying format, wherein the bronze is doing the qualifying, what did you think of that? Did you, was that something that worked for you this season? I think it's good um, in general um, because you know it, it, like like we were saying, highlighting the bronzes and like if you were a millionaire that was entering, sure you want your best. If if this wasn't a rule, you would put your pro that you've spent your money, hard earned money on, um, to show you what the car can do, but also you want the bragging rights mm. of going bronze against bronze and be like looking down the pit lane and thinking, yeah, I think I've got this one. I this person. beat that guy. And yeah. we, we saw that with, um, uh, who was it? It was, uh, Claudio Schiavone in the, uh, the Kessel racing, no, the iron links car. Um, when he said that pole lap on, 
on Bahrain 1, he was absolutely over the moon about that. He was running up and down the, the, the garages and everyone was out to, to congratulate him. And it, I, I, I think that was cool. And when Chetela got pole as well. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. When was it uh, Lacourt? He, oh, it's brilliant. The emotion, it, like that wouldn't, that just wouldn't happen if mm. they just slapped their pro in and was be like, okay, you do what pros do. Just do do what you do. It'll be like, oh, all right, I'll just slap in a massive lap that no one else can do because, you know, I'm a pro. Um, it's yeah, it's good. I think I think it should stay. What about the silvers? The the, the I'm gonna call it the silver problem in GTEM at the moment. Uh, is that as much of a problem as uh, we think? And is there a solution that you can think of? Does there need to be a solution? It's highlighted and made worse in GTE because you have a closer alignment to factories and OEMs. Yeah. And these OEMs have young driver programs. So we see it in with Porsche with the, you know, they just have Super Cup drivers more more recently in Project One. But, um, and uh, with Ferrari, you know, it's the same. Drivers. Yeah. Um, or Italian GT kids and things like that. So it's a problem. Uh, hopefully the next, the, the next kind of generation of driver rankings should solve that. So a more homogenous class would be a good thing. Um, like you still have variants with the cars and the BOP and stuff like that. But, um, if you're reducing, if you're doing anything to reduce the discrepancy, you're going to get closer racing, yeah. more fair racing. Um, and, you know, they're going to be more upsets because a, a more historically worse team, they're going to be closer to the front. If they're closer to the front, then they're closer to fight for a podium. So, so that's a win. More interesting results, certainly. Cool. Uh Final, just some wrap-up thoughts on the year. What's your most impressive or memorable drive? Your drivers that impressed, your drivers that disappointed, your events that were great, events that sucked. Give us give us your, your wrap-up in, I don't know, you got two minutes. Le Mans was good. Um, the uh, the drama in LMP2 at the end. Yeah. Um, regardless of the... Uh, um WRT breaking down the the two cars fighting for the eventual win um that was really exciting um uh oh on the spot um i don't know really like it was the the portimao was interesting yeah. with uh hypercar that was kind of the first time where it was like oh oh we could actually have a close closer race um yeah monza that's another good shout um yeah, I, I think the the balance of performance was even closer there um yeah i mean any particular stints, uh, stints throughout the year that jump out at you um like i did mention uh fuji tomonobu fuji did you know 
burn through his tires a little bit, but he it was it exciting to see him just lap on lap like carve through the field uh in GTEM. Um and yeah, we also mentioned Hido's hero stints or hero corners um <laughs> at the start of races. Uh that's pretty cool. Um but yeah, I'm kind of a bit at loss really. Yeah, I I, I certainly have a, a bank of things that I, I could whip out, but to me, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say that 2021 has been a hard year to follow racing, but it's been a hard year to follow racing. And I think for, for me particularly, following the WEC has been more difficult uh, with half the classes not really standing up to what we have seen from them in the past. It has been uh, more difficult to stay invested and to keep track, but... Uh, certainly, the first in Fuji and Hito, uh, Guido Vandergaard has been a certain highlight. The entire Monza race, that's been the best WEC race the last three seasons, I reckon, that, that race at Monza. And I want to make a special mention. We we did say it at the time, but I want to just reiterate the, the fact that the for the LMH class, for all five cars in that class to run mostly trouble-free at Le Mans for the two Glickenhauses to, to run two Glickenhauser to run entirely trouble-free at Le Mans and to get to the end and finish four and five behind, just behind the rest of the class I think that is a massive achievement and that that cannot be overstated like the, the, the fact that they managed to do that is probably one of the biggest surprises of the year um, so I, I, I do want to just keep Keep banging that drum, um, but I think my favourite moment of the year is Settler winning at Portimao. That 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 stirred the the olive oil in my heart. <laughs> Amazing. I, I had to. I had to. It was just, it was just wonderful. Uh, and on that note, uh, I think we are all finished up. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for joining me today, Ollie. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, if you missed uh, Petit Le Mans, that's uh, finished earlier today slash yesterday, depending on where you are in the world. I do suggest you catch up on that one. Uh, the final, I think, major event for the year is the uh, Nine Hours of Kyle Army, which will still be coming up. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to watch that. Uh, stay tuned uh, with us for some other episodes coming later in the year surely we'll have something we've got some stuff cooking we're just gonna get it out the oven thank you very much for the racing line and thank you very much for listening i'm michael zelivari peace out